Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. How can hydrogen help deliver the things we need most? At Chevron, we're exploring ways to expand our hydrogen fuel capabilities to help make heavy-duty transportation lower carbon. And we're working with vehicle makers and commercial truck fleet operators to help scale the hydrogen fuel industry. Because it's only human to believe innovation can help deliver a brighter future. Learn more at chevron.com slash hydrogen. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and to the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. I speak to you today with feelings of profound sorrow. Throughout her life, Her Majesty the Queen, my beloved mother, was an inspiration, an example to me and to all my family. Welcome to a special edition of the PR Week. This is Steve Barrett, the Editorial Director of PR Week. We're recording a special podcast today to mark the death of one of the most uh, significant figures in certainly British history, but I, I think I could safely say global history, and that's Queen Elizabeth II, who died Thursday at the age of 96. And um, it's been an, an amazing outpouring of media coverage and emotions from people in the UK and all around the world of a unique figure. So we're going to talk about that with my excellent lineup of guests with different perspectives. First of all, delighted to welcome Matt Neal to the show, who's the global CEO of Golden. So he's a Brit working in the US. Matt, welcome. Thank you, Steve. Glad to be here, even on a somewhat somber occasion. Yeah, looking forward to hearing your perspective. We've got John Harrington, who's the editor of PR Week UK. So going to be great to hear what John's got to say. Hi, John. Hi, Steve. Good to be here. Great to have you. And Frank Washcook, our regular correspondent, the executive editor of PR Week US and uh, giving the US perspective. How you doing, Frank? I'm doing well, Steve. Thanks for having me on. So, John, talk us through, which we're recording on Friday. It, it all happened yesterday. It all happened pretty quickly, actually, didn't it? Because... Um, it was, certainly, I was hearing rumours in the morning, but and the family was travelling up to Balmoral, the, the holiday home in Scotland of the Queen. But then it was announced, I think, around 6.30pm local time that she'd, she'd sadly passed away. Tell us about your experience of that in the UK and, and the general mood of the population for this absolutely unique occasion. You know, she's been with us the whole of most of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I found out, well, the news first broke early afternoon over here. And it was clear to everyone that it was very, very serious. You know, this announcement that all of her children and grandchildren were going up to Balmore in Scotland, where she was based. You know, a lot of people could see that the writing was on the wall. And there were a lot of media rumours that it was going to be announced at 6 or 6.30pm over here, which is what happened. I was in a meeting when the announcement that she was unwell happened. And then I was, like a lot of people, I was kind of glued to the TV because it was announced that the BBC were going to be suspending normal programming from six. So I think a lot of people realised the writing was on the wall. In terms of the atmosphere, I mean, it's uh, the cliche is sombre. Um, and it really is, but it's also shock. I mean, it's it, there aren't many people for whom, you know, you meet people kind of young and old. People don't remember a time before her. I mean, you have to be like fairly, fairly old to 
like even older than me, John. Yeah, even older than you, Steve. Um, and you know, you yeah. think about how quickly we've been changing our prime ministers recently. And in fact, we changed one just two days before the terrible news. So it's been very strange getting used to that. I mean, and also, and maybe I'm overthinking this, but it's been raining heavily the last couple of days, and it, it does. This came up to a period of you know quite a quite a sunny summer, which is quite unusual for us. And it does feel like that sort of reflected the mood, really. Um, and there is a funny, a funny mood around where, you know, a lot of people are very sad because they feel like they knew her personally on some level, or that sense of continuity is gone. People feel a little bit lost in a funny way. And yet, at the same time, there are some people who weren't necessarily fans of of the royals, but were fans of her. I've seen so many posts start with things like "I'm no monarchist, but." I've seen so, so many of those. Um, so I think she's one of those almost unique characters in British life who is almost universally popular, even among people who don't necessarily like the monarchy, don't necessarily like the royal family. Um, and there, you know, a lot of those really. Very few people um, seem to dislike her. As I say, there are some, but not, but not huge numbers. And most of them most of them have kept quiet, I think, or been a bit more subdued in the last day or so. Yeah, I've, I've, I have to admit, I used that line in my blog about uh, saying I, I'm not a royalist, I'm not a monarchist either. But I felt really emotional, actually, when I heard the news, Matt. I don't know how you felt, but for, for whatever reason, it really hit me quite hard. And I, I was trying to work out why. And I suppose, to John's point, for 80% plus of the UK population, that's all they've known. The Queen has been the ruler of the country and she's always been there through thick and thin. And it was quite shocking to see her, the pictures of her appointing Liz Truss, that you mentioned the latest PM, because she did look frail. Her hands were all very bruised and I think the population was quite shocked. So Matt, how did you feel when you heard the news and uh, it was you know, confirmed that she had indeed passed away? Yeah, um, I mean, disbelief. We've we've all known that this is coming, has been coming for some time. I suppose living thousands of miles away from where you're home, that distance and feeling of uh, uncertainty probably is enhanced. But I would have to say that uh, I've been so grateful for just the outpouring of kind messages and thoughtful notes from American friends and colleagues over the last 18 hours and I see that as a real reflection of the closeness between the US and the UK and the respect that many in the American public have for a head of state that in many ways has been part of, of their history too. And it's, it's, it's reciprocal. I remember being in London uh, in the aftermath of 9-11 and obviously it's a very big expat community there and London became the focal point for Americans' grief. And the Queen famously asked the Coldstream guards to play the Star Spangled Banner outside Buckingham Palace. There were thousands of Americans there mourning this tragedy that had happened in their country. And last night, my daughters and I were looking at the Empire State Building, which was lit up in purple. And um, I think that just this reciprocal mutual respect and friendship between the two nations has been very, very marked this last day. Yeah, that's a good point, because obviously we're coming up to the 21st anniversary of September the 11th. And there is, 
In fact, her last visit to New York City, she visited the Queen Elizabeth II September the 11th Garden in Lower Manhattan, which commemorates British and Commonwealth citizens who lost their lives in those terrorist attacks. And John, your point is well made. It's been scorchingly hot summer and then it was torrential rain. And then just after she passed, this rainbow kind of appeared. It's perfect rainbow appeared over Windsor Castle and, and Buckingham Palace. It was almost like it was her, her sort of heading across, you know, the Rainbow Bridge, that famous saying to to be reunited with her sort of beloved corgis and her husband, Prince Philip. It was it was really quite poignant, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was. It was very strange. It almost felt like um, it felt like a parade. It felt like a last parade because, you know, the last time she was seen in public to a, you know, a huge to any sort of degree, really on a, a was in the Jubilee. Um, which wasn't wasn't that long ago in the summer, and it sort of feels like you know this is a sort of it's it's it was another big moment, um, and yeah, it has been it has been very very sort of striking. Um, I mean, I don't yeah I don't remember anything like this in my lifetime. I mean, the nearest was um, you know obviously when Diana died, Princess Diana, yeah, yeah, Princess. Obviously, very very different circumstances, but. Um, you know, there was this this real kind of sense of the, the country sort of catching its breath and trying to work out what what to do now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Frank, Matt mentioned the special relationship between the Britain and uh, the US and Queen Elizabeth, served, you know, served in the army during the war and she had a real respect for the American contribution to us winning the Second World War and beating the Nazis. She met 14 US presidents all the way from uh, 1952. And, uh, you know, there was there were many great tributes yesterday from President Obama, from uh, President Biden, even Vladimir Putin in Russia, and of course, President Trump. Also. She could get on with ev- everyone. What's your take on that sort of relationship, given, you know, obviously, there's parts of America that, that people don't particularly uh, like the Queen and the royal family. But in general, there is a real, she was the epitome of that special relationship, wasn't she? Right, I think so. I think a lot of the commentary uh, on TV has focused on the fact that she she was uh, a very pro-American queen. Both her comments about the U.S. and the role it's played in European affairs uh, and in its relationship with Great Britain. And you mentioned she has met every president since her reign started, yeah. except for except for Lyndon Johnson which is 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 interesting since he was you know very gruff uh and probably she had to make do with the other Johnson the the British pre- prime minister Boris <laughs> <laughs> she probably would have preferred LBJ at that point but there's that that factoid that's out there that she she had been queen for 30% of US history which is just a staggering thing to to take yes, in yes. but i i do think i would echo what what Matt said in that um i think that in the days and weeks after 9-11 and just thinking back to it. And I think everybody's thoughts get a little heavy with it around the city this time of year too. I mean, the lights are already up as of last night. So yeah, I think that both her comments after the terrorist attack and and the comments of, of Tony Blair after the terrorist attack were very reassuring to a lot of Americans because I think that you have to think back and, and you know, the second President Bush at that time was still a very new president. And, and really struggling to find his footing in the early months of his, his presidency, uh, you know, after the, uh, the, the election and the lawsuits went into December of the year before. And I, I think those comments were really reassuring to a lot of people in the U.S. at the time. 
so I, I, I do think that that is, um, that sort of the special relationship is a real thing. And, um, you know, it's also, I think, cultural, too. I mean, if you look at look at how much of American pop music has its roots in Britain um, or, or bands from Britain, you know, it's it's definitely a real thing. And she was a big part of that. Yeah, for sure. It really sort of illustrated her dedication to public service that she actually fulfilled that final duty of um, appointing Liz Truss as PM. You'd have thought <laughs> she might have been able to give that one a miss. Um, and so... Uh, but uh, she was determined to do it. And um, Matt, if you think about uh, Queen Elizabeth as the sort of overseer of brand Britain, if you like, uh, and, and the yeah. brand royal family, she really was a, a great crisis communicator, transformer, communicator in general. What, what sort of lessons do you think we can learn from the way she conducted an operation for 70 years, seven decades? Well, it's remarkable what she achieved as a communicator over that period of time, you know, where we moved from sending telegraphs to sending tweets um, and and the population have moved from being quite reserved in how they communicate to today telegraphing how they feel about something seemingly, you know, when going into Starbucks and getting a coffee. And throughout this time, she's consistently communicated in a calm and unemotional way. And in, in many ways, that should not have worked. And it nearly didn't. You know, we've already talked about the death of Princess Diana, which is one of the few moments where I think the country wanted more. But over time, her her dignity, absence of drama and, and steadfast and careful use of language. I think language is an interesting thing to talk about, has, has been, I think, a signature of a communication success. So what I say to you now, as your queen and as a grandmother, I say from my heart. First, I want to pay tribute to Diana myself. She was an exceptional and gifted human being. In good times and bad, she never lost her capacity to smile and laugh nor to inspire others with her warmth and kindness. I admired and respected her for her energy and commitment to others, and especially for her devotion to her two boys. Yeah, um, that was uh, a good example with Princess Diana because in many ways, maybe she slightly initially misread the mood of the nation, but she, she was big enough to pivot. She was big enough to realize that, yeah, I need to do more here. I need to get out. And actually, she went out among the people, stopped her car, spoke to them, did that live broadcast and gave Diana the same, you know, funeral, um, state funeral as, as would be afforded to a blood relative. And she, so if you're thinking about transformation or even a crisis response, it was, it was a great lesson in listening and then changing behavior and pivoting. Yeah. And I like your point about the technology because it was it was amazing to see that very simple pinning of the plaque on the gates at uh, Buckingham Palace yesterday to announce this, as well as all of the stuff on social and, and the, the obviously the, the the palace's communications is, is using all those techniques as well. And it was a re- it was a real juxtaposition, wasn't it, of the still just a very simple message: the Queen has passed away peacefully in Balmoral. John, you've been covering some of the way people have responded in terms of brands and businesses. And it's fair to say that some of them haven't exactly covered themselves in glory. And some of them could possibly have learned from the Queen in terms of their less is more or a bit more understatement, perhaps. Yes, I think so. 
there's been a few clangers, to be honest. I mean, there was this famous, it was, it was Thomas Cook that put a post out that was something like Safe Travels. There was it's a travel company, Thomas Cook. And it, it really felt like there were some, some organizations that were, whether it was on purpose or not, trying to sort of shoehorn their own brand into the situation. And even just kind of using their brand as part of their tribute felt crass. It's interesting. We've had, um, there's been a lot of talk among the communications industry in the UK about what you need to do in this sort of situation. And I think there's a real lesson here, actually, because although we're not going to see something like this again, there are going to be times when, and we've seen it, you know, when there are, for example, terrorist attacks or, you know, um, other, other sorts of national emergencies and very sort of sad times in the country when you really got to take a different view, um, kind of um, times tweets and things like that, you know, the need to sort of sort those out and, um, you know, make sure that brands match the mood, frankly, um, and that they don't look as though they're taking advantage of it or getting the tone completely wrong. And unfortunately, some have. Yeah, Prang, that's something we've been covering a lot on PR Week US, isn't it? And it's it's amazing, really, that the, there's no playbook written yet, but you'd have thought people would have learned a few lessons by now. Yeah, it's not exactly new anymore. Um, and <laughs> there new. are a lot of different examples of, of how companies and brands should be responding, or, John, as you pointed out, not responding, uh, you know, when they don't have the right thing to say. So you still see some of these in the real head scratchers sometimes. Matt, you're in the heart of this with your clients. It's a, a lot of you did some great work with clients, especially on social. What it, what do you say to clients or your teams, you know, to sort of guide them in terms of the best way to respond to big events like this on social? Yeah, well, I mean, we did we did write a playbook and we've been writing it for many months. And yesterday we had to sadly send it out. And it's there's there's a version for. The UK market, there's a version for uh, the Commonwealth market, there's a version for US brands that are just ubiquitous and global, there's a version for US brands that have strong links with the UK and the guidance, you know, uh, changes depending on what day we are past the uh, past the event of her death and um, making sure that brands are aware of the protocol and you know taking a, a, a very firm guidance on paid work and earned work and you know I think it's absolutely appropriate for brands to still during a short period of time to talk to their customers and, and be very focused around customer service but um, in most cases, certainly the first 24, 48 hours and when the funeral happens, the, these are not times for um, self-promotion. Um, so I think you know, many clients and many other agencies will hopefully have prepared themselves for a situation like this. Yeah, that's uh, that's good to hear. And uh, just like a media company has with their pack packaged up content and rolling that out, obviously, you know, making sure that it's aged properly. But uh, yeah, it's good to hear how it works on the ground. John, let's talk a bit about what happens next. So obviously, we're going to have a new monarch for the first time for 70 years. It was ironic, really, that Elizabeth only became queen because her uncle, Edward VIII, chose to marry a divorcee. And that made her father, King George VI, the next in line. And it was kind of ironic that it was the fact that the woman he was going to marry was a divorcee rather than a fascist sympathizer. That was uh, the reason why this, the establishment lost it. But uh, that's probably best consigned to history. But um, King Charles III will be 
sworn in as the new king. As the Queen herself did with such unswerving devotion, I too now solemnly pledge myself throughout the remaining time God grants me to uphold the constitutional principles at the heart of our nation. What happens next, John? There's, there's all sorts of protocol that Matt mentioned. So what can we expect over the next 10 days? Well, we're in the period of um, national mourning, as it's been called. And actually, the government has issued guidance on what's going to happen um, in the next 10 days. I mean, one of the one of the interesting questions is when the funeral going to be? And it's a bit odd to me that that hasn't been clarified yet. Most people I've been speaking to um, among sort of national journalists who I know think that it's probably going to be a week on Monday and that will probably be at Westminster Abbey. But um, we, we await to hear. Um, in the meantime, we're in a sort of a, a slightly strange limbo. As I said, the government issued this advice saying that there's effectively there's no obligation on businesses to stop trading or to stop doing whatever they're doing. But they sort of say things like, you might want to consider the appropriateness of doing such and such a thing. I suspect that on the day of the funeral itself, all but essential businesses will probably close and things like sporting occasions will all will all grind to a halt. I mean, when it comes to sport, I mean, there's been quite a big debate and soccer is a national obsession over here. And there's been a lot of debate around the decision to postpone all Premier League soccer games this weekend. Yeah, not just Premier League. Not not just Premier League. No, I mean your team, your team as well, John. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, there is uh, there's a there's a lot of it. I mean, some people are making the very valid points. I've got good friends who are sports journalists that actually sports games are quite a good opportunity to come together and pay respects. You know, you can have a minute silence, yeah. black armbands, and all of that stuff. And then there is the practical element. You know, we're in an economic crisis in the UK at the moment, and the last thing businesses need is to lose out on all of the extra trade associated with these sorts of events. And there are quite a few people who are very frustrated about that. Um, and we can't completely ignore that context. And interestingly, yesterday, the government, the UK government announced a package of measures to help with the absolutely insane energy bills that people are facing at the moment. But that's just a very small element on the, on the BBC website at the moment, it just shows how huge this story is. But... Um, yeah, there is, as I say, it's it's a bit of limbo, a bit of debate about how, what the right way is to to respond. So that's going to probably carry on for the next few days. I think it's one of those times when you sort of test the mood a little bit. You see if people are, you know, if it feels like this sort of sombre moment we're in now carries on for the next three or four days, whether by the end of the weekend things seem to be going a bit more back to normal. So I think there's a, there's quite a lot of nuance here. But anyway, I mean, in terms of in terms of Charles, I mean, Charles is now king. There is no interregnum, although the the date of the coronation we hear could be some time away, um, sometime in the future. But he has officially become king, um, and it's going to mean various practical changes, like the new national anthem. Um, although that's only going to mean changing a few words, I'm sure, and things like you know stamps and um, banknotes and coins and so on are going to change as well and not just in the UK and all the countries where the monarch is the head of state so there's going to be a lot of change coming but you've got a great factoid for us on that haven't you John come on hit yes. us with it yeah here you go so every time there's a new monarch um the the direction that the monarch is facing on the banknotes changes 
So we're going to see Charles facing the, op- the opposite direction to Elizabeth when the new banknotes and bank coins uh, come out. So look out for there that. There you go. There you go. There you are. You heard it here first. Yeah. I think you make a great point there about I, I don't think the nation's in the mood for a massive ostentatious process or funeral at, at this time when it's so difficult. And that's one of the things that the Queen was so good at reading, wasn't it? So this will be the first test, I guess, of King Charles III as to how he handles this next 10 days. You're right. The uh, coronation, famously, um, Queen Elizabeth's coronation wasn't until 18 months after she became queen. And um, so that will probably be next year sometime. But, yeah, you make a really good point there. And um, it's it's going to be the first test of the new monarch. Matt, what's your sort of final thoughts on what uh, your, your, what, what we can expect from the new king and also the, the, the main legacy of Queen Elizabeth? Well, just just picking up on the kind of banknote um, point first, you know, it's hard to imagine any nation, organization, company around the world that has been so synonymous, even on an aesthetic level, with one person. You know, you talked about banknotes, every coin, every stamp, monograms on every post box, uh, postal truck, mm. names in every passport. You know, I was thinking what that would be like. It's incredible, actually, now you mention it. Yeah, I mean, for a New Yorker, it'd be like waking up and the Statue of Liberty has been removed and all the yellow cabs have gone. And, you know, just that, yeah. what, what is going on. But, you know, back to your back to your question around what, what next, I, my sense is that the country is up for a quite traditional funeral with, you know, all the time and um, ceremony that that would um, usually have. But then I think it changes and uh, the government and the palace have got a very difficult challenge on their hands with is how do you, how do you have a coronation for a new king in a time of great uncertainty and extreme um, economic hardship of, of, you know, it's not been seen for 40 years, they're going to have to change. They're going to have to get a balance between the hundreds of year old tradition and have it be reflected of a modern Britain. Um, they're going to have to innovate. Now, you know, anyone that's watched The Crown will know that the Queen's was the first that was televised. What new communications innovations are going to make this relevant um, for this new king. And I think he is going to have to, and word is that he does want to modernize. I do think he'll bring more personality. It will be a different communication style. I do think he will slim it down. Uh, I think the family will be, the working family will be very, very tight. I think there's an opportunity to cut the budget. I think there's probably an opportunity to maybe release some of the, you know, crown estates open to the country. Um, I think I think people will give him a shot. Like I think he kind of deserves a chance. I think the the sympathy that that people will have that he's lost his mother will will be a window um, to make those changes in. But they will have to be made, and they will have to be made fairly swiftly. I think. Yeah, yeah, good points, um, Frank. What what's your abiding? memory of uh, Queen Elizabeth and um, what are you what are you expecting moving forward from a, a new new monarch it's really interesting in that um, I think we've all seen a lot of uh, packages of images of uh, her throughout the years uh, over the past 24 hours 
and um, she had a, a, a really common touch, and I mean that in a good way, when she, in time she visited the U.S., and there's this, this famous picture of her uh, with um, the first President Bush in the dugout of the Baltimore Orioles, like meeting some of the players, and she's, she just looks thrilled to be there. And, um, yeah. you know, that's, that's a really – I think she didn't get enough credit for that. Um, I would also just point out, I, I, um, a lot of media folks and a lot of people who are very on Twitter have just been riveted by that 2017 Guardian article about the, the process for, for what happens over the next week or two and, and, uh, what to expect and what not to expect. And, and it has really captured the imagination. I think you see a lot of a lot of other outlets have repackaged it or repurposed it. And um, there's definitely a, a even among you know all of us Americans who are not not monarchists or royalists or anything like that. But there's a real fascination for how this is going to unfold uh, over the next couple of weeks because it is it is definitely being you know, very closely watched here as well. Yeah, there's a real danger when she took to the throne that, you know, the, the royal family may not persist. And there were other times through her uh, long reign when it was under intense pressure. So that's the challenge for King Charles III to keep it relevant. Um, my favourite tweet yesterday was from Paddington Bear, who uh, famously was part of the uh, Platinum Jubilee celebrations. She had a great sense of humour. I think that that came out sometimes but maybe not as much as it could and the, the tweet just says thank you mom for everything happy jubilee man and thank you for everything that's very kind we'll remember that skit with uh, daniel craig and 007 during the london olympics <clears throat> good evening mr bond good evening your majesty she really had a lot of fun. And like you said, Frank, she loved in, interacting with people, not just in the UK, but all around the world. So that's what, and she went on a tour when she was uh, first uh, on the throne and uh, went all over the world meeting people. So yeah, so thank you for joining us, Matt and uh, John and Frank. Really um, appreciate you taking the time at short notice and uh, a sad moment of reflection but also a celebration of an incredible life and um, lots of lessons to be learned there for for anyone who's interested in communications and and dealing with you know the the complications of modern life she's been dealing with that uh, for 70 years so thanks so much and we'll see you next time on the pr week